0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Social Founder Stories, the podcast for everyone interested in inspirational stories about charities and social enterprises. I'm your host, Caroline Deal, and I'm the founder of two charities, The Media Trust and Together TV. I well know the joys and challenges of being a social founder. Social founder stories are about the amazing people who make social change happen people who use their passions, skills, and entrepreneurial drive to make a difference and to make our world a better place. You'll hear about what makes social founders tick, how they create impact what they struggle with and how they overcome their challenges, or not in some cases. Social Founder Stories is brought to you by the Social Founder Network in association with Kiva, the Centre for Innovation in Voluntary Action. You can find out more about Kiva and support their innovative work at www.kiva.org.uk. How often we hear in social founder stories that our guests were activists and founders at the youngest of ages. Our guest today, Neil Jameson, CBE, when he was a primary school kid, organised what he would now call a citizen's action, to protest against the stopping of free milk for primary school children. Many years later, Neil Jameson went on to found and run Citizens UK, the charity that first campaigned for the living wage, and brought the concept of citizen organising to the UK. Neil has been named by The Guardian as one of the top 100 public servants in the UK. He's also an honorary fellow of Queen Mary University in London and an honorary doctor of the Open University. Neil is a recipient of the Albert Medal from the Royal Society of Arts, for reviving the tradition of community organising in the UK and promoting the common good. Prior to founding Citizens UK, Neil, you worked for the Children's Society and Save the Children, as well as Coventry and Somerset local authorities. I've followed Neil's journey over many years now, always inspired by Neil's dedication and impact and innovation. So I'm really excited to hear your story, Neil, and welcome to Social Founders. Thank you. Thank it's you. a privilege Good to, to have you on the show. We're going to go back to how you started Citizens UK and mm. what made you want to start it, but can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what it is, first of all, sure. and then we'll go back to okay. your founder journey.
1: Which, as you know, is never quite to start Citizens UK. It's a, it's a journey which starts in a different way and ends up with a vehicle which is now called Citizens UK. It's a charity company limited by guarantee. Uh, it wasn't the original name either. The life of the organisation started in 1988. The charitable objective has changed with the times, I think, and it's often not, not known the purpose of Citizens UK. We often call it troublemakers or campaigning organisation. The charitable objective, which I drafted with the help of the Charity Commission, who were very helpful at the time because we are a one-off, which is to uh, work with and support the development of the people of the United Kingdom to participate in public life. And the second objective is to strengthen the groups they come from. So we're bound in with institutions,
0: yeah.
1: and we're a v- very big alliance now, a diverse alliance of mosques and churches and synagogues and schools and refugee groups and LGBT groups and so on. But you've got to be a group, uh-huh. and I'll explain why along the way. Uh, but participation, participation is critical to the human condition, I think. And it's even more important now when people are so turned off the vehicles that they think they have for participating. But that's our purpose, is to get people to participate, to teach Uh them and give them the tools to participate in public life in many different ways. But also to strengthen the groups they come from, because all of these groups, in my experience, which have a a general charitable Mm -hmm. objective of the common good, are struggling against the, uh, the different narrative of social media and individualism and so on
0: and lack of time lack of time, too
1: busy and the whole point about these groups is they have involved lots of people and the human condition is perverse Mm -hmm. and in any church or any mosque or any group voluntary association there Mm -hmm. are eccentrics and what have you Mm -hmm. it's good for us to work with a mix of people but it feels easier these days to just work on your own in front of a computer screen, press a button and you think you've done something (laughs) you haven't, in my opinion You've done something, you pressed a button, but basically it doesn't change anything. Thank God we live in a democracy which is vulnerable to large numbers of people being well organised, having a a clear objective, raising their own money uh, and coming up with something which is not going to change the world dramatically but will change things for many people which no one else can.
0: So the old power of social organisation, bringing people together. It's not
1: a new idea. It's just that people are not participating. Their faith in politics has declined. We've been going for 30 years, so it was pretty good when we started. Yeah. But, boy, yeah. currently today, politics is not seen as a vehicle to change. It's seen as something which people despise in many cases, which is why it's easier to have fun, watch something, and watch, uh, watch, watch, Love work, Island. watch people doing stuff. Like That's why Love Island is the, the, the alternative yeah. to going to a room, often cold room, few people, some chairs flip chart and saying okay guys what are we going to do about this mm. the drug dealers on our street mm. the pub that sells alcohol to kids uh, the fact that street lights have been broken forever the knife crime on our street which is threatening
0: so does, does citizens uk do quite a lot of local campaigns then yeah because I, I think of you the amazing huge yeah. campaigns which, yeah. which I hope you'll talk to us about in sure. a minute, um, are very much part of your brand. But it's interesting what you're just saying there, that you very much enabling and encouraging people to take action locally. Well,
1: yes, I mean, sounds a little bit patronising, but it's like learning anything, I think. Firstly, we have to build the organisation. So the, the, we'll talk a bit about power because that's very important to uh-huh. the philosophy I have learned, the tools I have learned. If you haven't got power, then you've got to limit to your ambitions, certainly. But the more power you have, which is the more people in relationships with the same plan then the more ambitious you can be. But basically, when we're invited to organise in a new town or area, which we are now increasingly,
0: yeah.
1: it's best to start with the local issues, the very local issues. We often start if we get, I don't know, four institutions in a small neighbourhood, mosque, church, school, uh-huh. trade union branch, bring them in the same room say, OK, what do we got in common? Ideologically, nothing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But actually, everything, if you look at the patch, the neighbourhood is what we have in common. So what can we do about the neighbourhood? What's it like living here? What are the pluses and minuses? Quite quickly, yeah. somebody comes up with the post office is closing. Uh, We've got no coffee shops or something. Or uh, the, the nobody's trimmed the trees, so they're overhanging the road and it's dangerous. Often it's an issue of safety yes uh street lights broken yep. dog mess we've done lots of dog mess actions it's, it's
0: good, really Very earthy on the surface quite trivial things yeah. which then lead to that's right bigger things
1: i mean these days suddenly with with uh, the problem with the cuts of course have led to more serious things nurseries closing old people not mm. getting the social care they used to have mm. So we tend to get escalated quite quickly into issues. If you want to develop people's horizons, you start with things which are relatively local, Mm -hmm. which are specific issues like get the lighting improved, get the lighting mended, because you can see if you've done it or not. It's very important for the people that have the courage to participate and go to the demonstration that we can see you did this, you changed things, you spoke well, you got the mayor to agree to something. And so we do a lot of the pattern for learning in citizens is, we call it a Greek word, praxis, which is Uh um, research, if you like, action, and evaluation. Most people don't do the action, they do lots of research, then they don't know what to do with the information, and they rarely evaluate
0: And you use the community organiser model
1: still, do you, all the
0: way through? Totally, yes. yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is and how you came across it? Because I I read a story that you'd gone on a Churchill Fellowship. That's
1: right. You need to look for opportunities as you're getting older, uh, which will help you learn. And certainly I commend the Churchill Fellowships, because I I was working at the time in a very run-down council estate on the edge of um, the city in in Coventry, where there was lots of vandalism, so it was not difficult to explain that. I need to find out why this is happening, although it wasn't rocket science the mm-hmm. people were poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the housing was crummy, the facilities had been closed down, so went with that cause. So I had the chance to go to the States and I saw these magnificent, unique examples of large numbers of people who happened at the time to be Christian, but that didn't really matter because they weren't talking about Jesus or mm. uh, salvation. They were talking about uh, stopping the airport expansion and bulldozing the houses that were lived in by poor folk from demolition without any serious alternative uh-huh. housing they were doing all sorts of things which we would call campaigning I guess here but I was interested in why and how they were managing to do it and why there were so many people there and some of them were middle class and some of them were poor but they were there The public action was well timed they always had the media with them they did something they got in the press they met with the mayor, they negotiated, and mostly came up with some sort of compromise.
0: And then were these the community organisers? Were they branded, were they called community organisers? Well, there would be
1: a community organiser, one, probably, one person behind that. Yeah. These would be people from the churches in that time, the Industrial Areas Foundation, started by a guy called Sololinsky, in the 30s, and he was a famous. criminologist yes. and yes. quite famous and... Yeah. Uh, hillary clinton knew about him obama yeah. Yeah. was a community organizer came out of the same stable i trained with obama when oh, did you? i went there for 10 days to do the same training we run here three mm. times a year
0: And did you think at the time that this man there were
1: 60 of us on it he stood out because he was young and keen Until. and tall and <laughs> tall uh and actually if you've read his tales of my father yes, book, so he talks wonderful. about two chapters on his experience of community organizing mm. he met michelle and stuff and she fell in love with him when he hung his jacket off, it's in the book, yeah. uh, with a flip chart and a pen where he's writing up the difference between the world as is and the world as should be. Huh. We still do that. That's part of citizens' training.
0: How interesting. Because
1: the purpose of organising is to help people move from the world as it is to the world as it should
0: be. So you went over to the States, came across this movement of community organisers, yeah. and felt there was something happening there that wasn't happening in the UK. Is that, is that is that's right, correct? correct? Yep. Yeah. 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 So then what happened? You came back and...
1: Well, I came back I wondered at one point whether the Children's Society, a big NGO, could basically organise in this way. But the link with royalty meant that basically they couldn't do very much that was radical.
0: They couldn't campaign.
1: They couldn't campaign uh, without the permission of the palace, effectively. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a choice you make. But basically... Uh, I concluded that we needed a new organisation that was focused particularly on this model of organising, which is called broad-based community organising.
0: Right,
1: uh, And there's no other vehicle to do it, so I must establish one. I didn't at the time think I should be the organiser, but frankly there was no one else interested in organising. Uh, and I was blessed by meeting uh, Eric Adams, who was at the time the secretary of the Barrow-Cadby Trust. I am a Quaker, which is not insignificant because so are they. Uh, That's right, their roots. Right. And that was critical yeah. because I had to have a funder to leave the job. So firstly, we built, Eric and I, a little board of trustees. Got to the, the, what was then called the Citizen Organising Foundation, registered with the Charity Commission. The
0: Citizen Organising Foundation. I uh, like that name.
1: the yeah. But we talked about following Judeo Christian traditions, which got us into trouble later on when uh, lots of secular people wanted to join the organization. Yeah. yeah. Saw the original uh, objectives, which they worried about a bit, so we changed them. They, mm. they were right at the time. It's
0: mm. uh, interesting, isn't it? The, the ability to change the organization sure that you sure. don't have to be set in your way it's as a absolutely not of. the
1: organization we started but we needed a vehicle for me to be employed i felt
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> as an organizer okay i want to do this for life yeah uh, if i can and yeah. if i can sustain it because a policy of uh, another policy which is interesting and has served us extremely well is never taking money from the state so i knew that the future would be rough but yeah. nevertheless nobody could cut us unless uh, we really messed up and the foundations lost faith in us.
0: Was that both a sort of financial policy so that you wouldn't be dependent Mm. on the the income from the state, but also presumably if you're campaigning Mm. for social change, you had to be independent of politics? Correct.
1: Well, of partisan politics, definitely. But we do do politics. It was also because, frankly, that what we're trying to teach people in participation is that power is a good thing with other people, and, but if you take money from somebody, including trusts, I guess, but it depends which trust you're talking about, Yeah. then you have to do what the people who give you money tell you to do. Yeah. And if you take money from the state, the state will say, yes, you can have this, but you must be careful. You can't do this, and you can't do the other, and so mm, on. Mm. But we have really benefited 30 years later now of never taking money from the state. We are blessed by a strong relationship with the radical foundations in this country, some of whom you know, of like, yeah. Caroline. yeah. Uh, who are prepared to invest in the sort of brief that we had, which Mm. was people's participation.
0: Mm.
1: We were the first organisation, I think the only organisation, to have this particular charitable objective of helping people participate
0: in public life. This premise of people participation Mm. and social action and engagement is, is so exciting. Tell us a little bit more about how you used your board... And your own personal brand to build up that confidence in what you were doing, being able yeah. to raise the, the, the money and, and have the impact. And then I want to hear about the campaigns that you've okay, done as well, well come to that. because they're so exciting. Well, the
1: American the Industrial Ares Foundation have been great friends to us. We are still in partnership with them 30 years later, and we follow the same curriculum effectively. Okay, the same methods right. effectively the yeah. tools for community organizing are you we think universal yes uh and so there was a condition that the board members had to go and do a 10-day training with someone huh. as i did with obama where they also were imbibed by they were in they they were challenged by uh the teaching that there is there. So you
0: sent them to the states to yes, do the
1: training. Yes, so Cadbury, Burrow, Cadbury provided for uh, about seven of the board members, including Eric Adams, mm. the opportunity to go. The Industrial Areas Foundation were very gracious and then provided a couple of weeks uh, location placement for mm. the board members. They were all uh, people drawn from the institutions we were focused on. And it's terribly it, uh, it sounds spooky, but it people came back converted effectively. We got We'd got the message, I think, since the uh, welfare state that we didn't have to do stuff because we were all very well and uh, the government would do things for us. And uh, in America, they'd never had that position. And so participation was beginning to be an issue. And also what was beginning to happen, which was the most serious, I think, for democracy, is these institutions were struggling to recruit new priests, uh, teachers, Mm -hmm. uh, the vocation of serving people. Was seen. Mrs. Thatcher didn't help. She was a bit rubbishy about um, there is no such thing as society and mm-hmm, so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, when actually, I now believe absolutely that people have to learn to be democrats. Uh, Cicero said that democrats are made, not born, and that's totally our experience. That we yeah. are born selfish. Aristotle said this, uh, but slowly, as a result of good parenting, and then. The um, experience we have in working with others mm. through institutions—this is ancient
0: Greece—we
1: mm. become more virtuous. So the path to virtuousness comes through uh, parental care. Uh, then the next level in the states they call the mediating institutions, which we call voluntary associations. I guess. Okay. And people learn that actually they should be generous and there are tools to be generous. And frankly, learning with other people is a great experience, Mm -hmm. helping other people.
0: So your journey, you've got a wonderful board Mm -hmm. who you've sent off on a 10-day training course to the other side of the world. You've got unique charitable objectives which are quite radical in their own way. You've got some money Mm -hmm. now, which will guarantee you a salary for how long, roughly? Three years. Three years, years. pretty good, actually. A wonderful way to start off an Mm organisation as a founder, if you can actually be sure. Just for one word, Um, This was Yeah, Yeah. for you, basically. Yes, very important. You have a vision about what you want to do. Mm. How did you take it from, effectively, an idea Mm. and one person and a new board into what it is now a huge organization with hundreds of member organizations staff all over the country with any idea i think you have to
1: pilot it and prove that it works so i guess in the first 10 years made lots of mistakes however i was able to prove that it was possible to build an organization that was funding itself effectively with help from foundations in the same way as i'd seen in the states so i was living at the time near bristol And the job was, which I understood, I made the targets myself to see if I could get 27 institutions, diverse institutions, to come into an organisation which was called Communities Organised for a Greater Bristol, nice, (laughs) which we don't use now, but nevertheless at this place, and then come up with a political agenda, political like public life, which we could act upon. We had the founding assembly, which are very important for these. So all the groups came together in the Catholic Cathedral in Bristol to pledge to work together on the common good. Wonderful. That itself took some doing, but it wasn't difficult. I think when, once people get the point, which is, is basically common good, yeah. which is a underplayed philosophy, but critical to democracy. The first action we did in Bristol was uh, one of our churches, people were kept awake at night because of what they thought was the railway they were next to the Temple Mead station, uh, shuttling their trucks around. And constant clucking and tin noises were being heard. And so when the minister talked to his congregation, we've joined this organization, we can tackle big things, what's the problem? They immediately said, the problem is we can't sleep at night. (laughs) So he did some research with the help of me, because they were all ready to go and demonstrate against the station, and discovered it was a local Calagas factory that employed night workers to move the canogast stuff around. They followed the noise. Yeah. They're so excited about yeah. our thing. <laughs> and, of course, they very quickly get a meeting with the factory manager. And he was very apologetic. He didn't. They never had complaints. But nobody ever done a research. could they make the change it. happen? They could easily make the change happen How by amazing. reducing the night shifts and and moving things more quietly.
0: So the, the practical thing is there. But what's more important, presumably, is that a whole gang of individuals from different backgrounds realised that they could make change happen. And so I love the way you were talking originally about power Mm -hmm. because power is a word that you don't hear very much in the social enterprise and charity sector. And you're making me think that perhaps we should do a campaign to bring that word back in again because the social sector in this country and globally has got incredible power. And you are here harnessing this power. Mm -hmm. And you then started taking what was to become Citizens UK, into London, yeah. where you've been extremely active in the East End of London, and into how many cities across the UK now?
1: Um, Twelve, I think we are now. Twelve And cities
0: growing all the and, time. And all the time. I want to jump from this very local action in Bristol, mm. around the Calagas mm. stroke trains, noise, mm. and how you've empowered those citizens, to the campaign that, from my perspective, put you on the map big time which was the campaign around the living wage. Would you say that that's your most influential campaign? Uh, yeah, Yes, there's very
1: concrete things we can show. There's, I mean, the, when people say, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of our members staying together.
0: Oh, interesting. Because
1: without the vehicle for the power, we wouldn't be able to do it. I was invited to come to East London after the Bristol experience, four yeah. years on. Uh, had to hand over to another organiser and then they handed it over to another organiser. The organiser is very important because they're the people that pull together. Yeah, the, the catalyst. The catalyst yeah. and the teacher and the Booking of the rooms and so on. The
0: organiser. The organiser. The community organiser.
1: We now have something like 45 professional organisers who are very important to the whole vehicle. Across the UK. Across the UK. And they're quite paid. They're paid a decent salary, pension and everything, because we don't want them to leave.
0: And they're paid by Citizens UK. Citizens UK
1: has a budget of £5 when we started at nothing, of course. And then there's a small grant to get me going.
0: So you, you up sticks and left Bristol, yes, moved with
1: the family. Yes, I the It didn't suit them to leave. The children were taking exams mm. and so on. So I commuted for seven years <laughs> because the, the job was unstable. It, was, it could have collapsed at any point, any mistake, mm. or just a foundation saying we didn't, we're not going to give you any money would mm. have been the end of the whole thing. Uh, so it's risky, but mm. then, in my experience... You've got to take risks if you're a good pioneer. <laughs> and you've got to have courage. Yeah. Uh, Aristotle, when asked what's the most important value, said that courage is the most important of everything yeah, right. else, because without courage, the rest don't follow.
0: You I think get... that all the social founders that I've met, heard about, that are part of this network mm. are people with incredible courage, actually yes. courage, resilience, and the skills that you've all built up
1: yes. to I think it happens. keep going. I enjoyed the mission. Every day was a privilege to yeah. do this job. As it grew, it got slightly more, more um, less satisfying because I was then dealing, as is ever the case, with disciplinary action and grievance procedures
0: and running a big organisation,
1: charity and commission audits and all that, which you have to do, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I am, an, I think I am. I want to be an organizer for the rest of my life, that and is as you say, But tell
0: us about the Living Wage campaign. Okay, well, Living Wage is very quite important. Quite groundbreaking. Are, what is the context for? For okay. that campaign if you can if you've got some power
1: hutzpah follows Hutzpah is jewish expression about sort of surprising things which involves courage uh came to east london in 1994 five launched the organization which is then much bigger in east london for yes. uh, which is 47 institutions across four boroughs uh-huh. same thing mostly faith and a few schools we have a listening exercise. People talk to each other. What, what can we do? We've got this power stuff, and actually, then we started on smaller uh, local issues. But simultaneously, the members were saying, "However, we're East London. We haven't got any money. Um, mm. The people are poor. Zero-hour contracts coming in." Uh,
0: East London was one of the poorest areas in the was whole of pre- Europe the, at that stage. Uh, Olympics, of Wasn't course, as well. yeah. Oh yes,
1: very poor. Under many people's comments was, "We're poor. Yeah. What do we do about it?" Yeah. And again, I remember about 1999 it was, we had a gathering of some of the leaders, and we do, at most of meetings, always start with a round, people say who they are, and then a question. So what's happening with families in your neighbourhood is a very good question, if for anybody that's listening, yes. and they really want sort of authentic politics, it's good to ask about what's happening to families. Yeah. And in the rounds, the imam from the East London Mosque and the Father John Armitage from um, East London St. Margaret's Church said roughly the same thing. They can't plan ahead. They're not as generous as they used to be. They're under pressure. They've got TVs in their children's rooms, so the kids are being brought up by TV. They don't volunteer like they used to to run the church, yeah. Sunday school and stuff. Yeah. That sort of gave me the authority to say, well, well what can we do about it? Mm. And I knew that in 1995, our American organization in Baltimore had, had run a living wage campaign.
0: Uh, so you followed on the idea a bit, from the but States but we were again. more
1: ambitious than that. Learning from others is totally important. I mean, there's no such thing. I think it's an original idea. It's just other people's ideas you borrow, and it's good it. to be generous about them. I love it because that's so interesting. That we should do idea. we
0: should do some research across our founders actually because I think a lot of us think that our ideas are original. That well, we we that, that add to them. not I guess. necessarily. But, yeah. So back to back to citizens. UK so we say,
1: okay, why don't we come up with a living wage for London? We knew there was evidence that um, policemen and nurses and so on get a top up called London waiting. Yes, but if you're a cleaner, you get nothing. And why don't we set it? Because then we had the problem with, well, who sets the minimum wage? Well, there is a sort of deal done with business and unions and so on, and still is. Mm -hmm. And it's announced once a year what the figure should be, Mm -hmm. based upon really what business can afford, what employers can afford. Mm -hmm. The radical thing, I think, and we had help from others Mm -hmm. to do this, and York University played a significant part, was why don't we set it at the cost of living? And I remember we then had women, basically housewives, if you like, who came in uh, with a basket of goods and sh- said how much it costs to live in a town of hamlets. Hamlets. Right. And they sort of put the vegetables on the table, and wow. they, uh, the, ac- the academics were the researchers were counting off how much it cost. And then, of course, <laughs> they said, yeah, but what about childcare? And then they said, what about transport? Yep. None of that is taken into consideration when the yep. minimum wage is uh, calculated. And I remember the day when York University sent a figure down which they worked out should be what people are paid to live off, to survive in London. Because yeah. the cost of transport and childcare yeah. suddenly pushes everything up. The cost of housing was going up yes, as well. Yes. So we had a big assembly, thousand uh, people, 2,000 people in Walthamstow Town Hall, uh-huh. packed to launch the first UK's living wage. The press weren't sure what it was. Andrew Marr covered it. Uh, I remember the BBC. it
0: getting a lot of coverage. It was on ten o'clock news. Yes, because yes. it was so. It was very radical, radical. at the time. Radical and who the hell are Super these people? Super radical. The and interestingly, were... with Brexit, mm. there's been lots of discussion about assemblies coming back into the decision-making yes. making process. but you, you personally, and Citizens UK were really, really innovative and radical mm. around the use of assemblies. Mm. So this was key uh, to getting the living, the London living wage
1: accepted. Because if people aren't there, they don't know they've done it. Mm. So the assemblies are really the launch of something which mm. has to have a beginning and not an end, mm-hmm. but steps where people... can And we do meet people and get sentimental about it. I was at that first assembly. There are now 5,000 accredited living wage employers. A third of the FTSE 100 companies are paying it. I am now spending time with uh, others outside this country... Yeah to launch a global living wage initiative how
0: wonderful where
1: there will be a world body that works with others at a country basis that come up with a figure in the same way using the cost of living Mm. it's voluntary if you haven't got the money you don't have to pay it but we certainly question employers when they say Mm. we haven't got the money because our shareholders don't want us to do this in the early days we then purposely chose strategic targets which involved turnout uh, health service first so we took on the hospitals so Mm. we launched it Got some publicity and then said, okay, who's to, who are we going to persuade, of mm. force, mm. to pay it? Who's got the money? And our people said, well, our people mostly were cleaners in hospitals in oh. many cases, church people.
0: Well, the cleaners, of, I remember the story about the cleaners, the cleaners in HSBC? Cleaners in, so the second I mean, target was HSBC. <laughs> so we
1: struggled with the health service but persuaded uh, five hospitals to introduce this new wage, which yes. we set and they recognised because... Their staff said, well, we, got, we have got the money. And though I do remember uh, the chairman at Homerton saying, well, it's cancer operations or cleaner's wages. What would you do? Unfortunately, hmm. we had a very good I'm- Catholic nun. She said we do both. Fantastic. Uh, and um, people were, you know, with her.
0: Yeah.
1: But the second target was obviously to take on the bodies that had the money. So we had a four-year struggle with HSBC Bank, where we bought shares in the company. We did all sorts of amusing, teasing actions, which people loved, although HSBC didn't particularly. Mm -hmm. To the credit of the chairman, Sir John Bond, he met with us. Uh, He came eventually to a big assembly we had to celebrate 10 years of the living wage. And he brought his wife and daughter and said it was the best day of his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's multimillionaire. He was paid £2 million and uh, was an East Ender. And John, Sir John Bond basically said, it, he's with us. We give lot, He said the banks give lots of money to charity. And the bishop said, Sir so John, we are not interested in charity. It's justice we want.
0: Wow. So you really mm. tapped into the power of the faith groups as well on this one and the media as well you'd be very good at getting very doing, creating stunts century. effectively yes. the assemblies the stunts the fact that you're bringing together communities that the yeah. media normally portrayed as fighting with each other yes. you brought those communities yeah. together yeah. and and very much the seeing is believing strategy as well then
1: indeed and of course all think? of them involve people so yeah. we don't really produce reports because they involve researchers and they have their place but mm-hmm. we do public assemblies, public rallies, public mm. what-have-yous. I mean, we then went from there. Uh, living wage produced an, a whole series of other challenges for us because we discovered a lot of workers were here with no papers, yeah. uh, which is where the Strangers citizens campaign came from. And we had 20,000 people, this was 2006, rally in Trafalgar Square, the biggest rally ever in this country, in favour of giving people what the press called an amnesty we called it regularization uh-huh. because the word amnesty is a bit toxic and people don't like that if people have been... Uh, it's better to sort of talk about a one-off regularization. Boris Johnson 100% supported that.
0: And this is, you said, it's called the Strangers Into... Strangers Into, into
1: Citizens, was so each campaign Strangers name, Into
0: Citizens, yes, yes.
1: Uh, which was to ask for these people to be allowed to stay, uh, uh, go on a pathway to citizenship. Thousands benefited from that. If you look at the record of what happened, uh, there was never an amnesty. It was below the radar, I can say now, in all honesty. It's definitely happened. Uh, uh, So asylum seekers whose papers got lost were given the right to stay. Mm -hmm. We were, at the time, working with lots of Zimbabweans and lots of Chinese folk. They all got
0: the permission to stay. There was so you, a sort of clean up. You hugely impacted people's lives, have not you, with the living wage, with with the ability to get papers, and then the refugee campaign work that you've done True. as well.
1: It continues.
0: And yes. it, I, I wondered, are you working in schools? Yes,
1: yes, lots. because
0: presumably influencing young yeah. people at, at that early stage. Well,
1: so I've, as you hear, we mostly started with faith, but mm. very quickly discovered, of course, the energy that young people have, which mm. tend not to be in. Uh, faith institutions apart from Islam, uh, and so went to schools recruited schools primary school gave me a primary school any day
0: and you part of the curriculum um well Your never
1: quite have been it's really required uh, i wouldn't say eccentric head teachers but courageous huh. head teachers who know that they've got to do sats that The results matter but also how are they going to develop these children as all-rounders we played a significant part in the citizenship curriculum.
0: You may remember that, well, Bernard Crick. I do remember that, but what's left of that? Oh, no. nothing. No, it exactly. was abolished. So, how uh, do you get? How do you work in schools now when there isn't same. that space well, we, anymore? We did,
1: that was a big hook for us to hang it on. And uh, Bernard Crick looked at our work, and we were in the original report as a vehicle to use if schools wanted to yeah. join. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: but there is still the challenge for, particularly six forms and so on, is they want to produce an all-round young person who have very keen on politics initially or the vehicle of politics mm. and without organizing then the only thing they can do is really join a party and that's they're really at the bottom of the pile they're not taught much about power mm. as such. they're taught about getting somebody into the seat uh, so as I say primary schools we've got lots of primary schools in membership we have growing numbers of secondary schools and sixth form colleges joining mm. some student unions join but they're very flaky because their turnover's so high. So
0: a school right. joins, they pay. They pay, uh, yes. They pay, Everybody and then pays. Their, their students or even their teachers or their cleaners can come along to meetings that's and assemblies. Right. Yes. and so so the, how it works.
1: Meetings. I mean, life is all about... Meeting, rather Connecting. than meetings. Yes. Uh, once, so the vehicle for organising we call a one-to-one, which is basically what we're having here. Uh-huh. Other people may hear us, yeah. which is a relational meeting.
0: Yeah.
1: And we encourage all our members to do relational meetings with their neighbours, their friends, their kids, particularly when we don't know each other very well, and then with people outside their institution.
0: So you are becoming like the web well, I of society, you, yes. the, the, of the mesh is, underneath it is all is
1: reweaving the fabric of society.
0: Oh, I love that. Reweaving. Yes, the reweaving because of it is
1: fracturing, and it was fracturing. It is almost fractured now with the appalling Brexit saga that we have all lived through.
0: Yep. Let's come on to you again as a founder. So, you talked earlier about how you didn't particularly like the change in your role as you were having to run a bigger mm. and bigger and bigger organisation. Mm. Um, a lot of our founders, interestingly, talk about it being a very lonely job and finding it hard sometimes to find the personal support and the personal resilience to keep on going, and also to learn delegating skills and things like that. Yeah. Have you got any tips for those challenges? I mean, oh. did you ever feel, as you ever feel, that kind of you were on your own there? I, I imagine it doesn't sound like you Not did. <laughs> no. No. I mean, I'm blessed
1: a... by attracting very good colleagues, yeah. m- much younger than me. Yes. Uh, frankly, I, at the time, I purposely targeted the young people that would normally have left uh, Oxford and Cambridge or MSC uh-huh. uh-huh. and could have potentially been members of parliament
0: huh. well, or go to the strategy. city.
1: And, and part of that thinking was why should the City of London and Westminster get the cream of the cream yeah. when civil society is the most important? Institution of them all huh. and civil society is poorly served by professionals if they're poorly paid, mm-hmm. they don't stay very long and they move on. We need the very best in civil society, and frankly citizens and was had, able to recruit them.
0: Had, by offering better s- salaries, salaries or?
1: some security, but more the excitement of the chase effectively yeah, yeah. the task, the mission yeah. uh, that some, a lot of people who did PPS at Cambridge or somewhere where they talked forever about politics and in a very boring way yeah and suddenly they come to our events it's mostly the big assemblies that have converted people where they see black white brown young and old standing shoulder to shoulder pressure on whoever that is on yeah. the platform and whoever's on the platform basically saying in a democracy why would i not say yes to your reasonable re- requests it's so uh,
0: really to inspirational. These uh, these assemblies. The assemblies have yeah. been
1: fantastic, and they've yeah. recruited for us well. And they're polite, and there's no heckling. And basically, we give garlands and flowers yeah. and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you're. Was you that. You've got the. Ne- you were never lonely. Yeah, yeah. You've got the network of incredible support mm. from your board to the young, bright, champions that you're bringing in mm. to, to act for you in the job and to then to start to take over and you have been an inspiration to Mm. obviously the people who've been part of your network but to people outside your network as well quietly, constantly pushing, pushing, Mm. pushing Mm. your values and this vision of community organising of bringing people together across different groups Mm. of championing those groups that were getting and still are sometimes getting absolutely terrible negative media coverage Mm. particularly actually Mm. the Muslim community I would say in London you've been almost single-handedly a champion of bringing the Muslim community mm. into mm. integration, into acceptance, into understanding, and taking people into mosques. Very key on all that. Do you feel that the personal brand for a social founder mm. is very important? Is that something that you consciously develop? Uh, for good and ill, if you like, because new yeah. founders
1: don't really want to move on. Uh, I, I think you can't if you're a founder, really, because if you do, that, suggest you're a careerist, effectively, and you move on to something else. Citizens has never had two-year uh, chief executives, mm. effectively. So I did 20 years. I was the first organiser, and then we thought we should have an executive director. Yeah. And, and it was natural in a way that it should be me.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, as I got older, of course, I was very conscious of the need to leave a legacy, uh, and that's important for all of us founders and
0: in what sense a legacy what do you mean
1: well a person to take over from me
0: uh-huh uh, and was... did you start cultivating a few Not people who could do these, that because or... there
1: were, I, as i said i was blessed by a large number of very impressive young people joining in about 2005 2006 mm. when we were very active and very public in what mm. we were doing uh, and also targeting their academic institutions so that um the, this was a real career, and, and community organising now through us is a real career. Uh, and I was very blessed that my my long term colleague, effectively of uh, fifteen years, Matthew Bolton, was the deputy. Then put himself forward to replace me. And the trustees advertised all over the world, uh, had a fair open uh, yeah. go. There was a little bit of competition, but basically Matthew has now taken over. So, so if you like, he's been fifteen years.
0: He is your legacy, as, is well as, legacy. as well as this very yeah. powerful, strong organisation. And you board And what are you doing now?
1: Well, Emeritus is a title what I wasn't... What
0: does that mean? Tell, means, our, tell me and our listeners, I think what is it, it, means, hope it means,
1: It's rather up to Matthew Director. and others to say, observers, mm. that, that we trust you to carry on, but you're not in charge.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, but <laughs> And has that been difficult? Have they done things that you thought, ah? Uh, not particularly, no. I mean, it's only a year. Uh, it, it will be different. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, I'm able to pick and choose. So I'm working, as you implied... Very closely with our Muslim members. Uh-huh. Uh, to be a Muslim in Britain is pretty terrible. now. Very tough. Now it's got yeah. worse. Yeah. Whilst we've been organised, much worse. Nine eleven, seven seven, and to be a Muslim woman is very difficult. Yes. Uh, getting on the short list is very difficult of any job. So to have 4 million people who basically don't feel welcome here is serious for civil society.
0: So have you set up a new organisation, or is that a rumour I've heard? Is that correct?
1: Well, you'll see on my card, the Centre for Civil Society Yes, is tell us about that. Well, it doesn't exist. I uh, have to <laughs> say to your listeners, it's another a vision. Uh, I've tried to persuade uh, Queen Mary University of London that they need this mm-hmm. and they should host it. But it is a long-term uh, objective, which is to get somewhere, somebody academics, if you like, focused on civil society as a separate sector to the state and the market. Yeah. You know, the market is so well served by business. Every university has a business school. Yes. Nobody has a civil society. A- academic training for people. In the States and in, in Scandinavia, there are courses on how to work with civil society. Mm. Civil society mm. is seen, as I say, as a vital sector in any democratic process. Mm. It's where people learn how to work together but, and the market, of course, dominates. It's not so much the state, it's the market that is winning on every front.
0: Well, it'll be very interesting to see if you follow the same strategies with this new organisation mm. as you used 30 years ago. Are there one or two other social funders out there that you really admire?
1: Yes. I mean, frankly, some of the people that run our trusts and foundations, I admire tremendously. They're fellow travellers effectively they have a different job but they're prepared to risk the money that was left to them in many cases to invest in risky business so we have had five million pounds in the barrow cadbury trust over these Mm years
0: stories aren't told are they actually i mean the the average person in the street doesn't realize what the trust for london is doing or the barrow cadbury foundation they are quite radical
1: trust paul hamlin foundation there are lots unbound philanthropy we're blessed by a dozen Foundations consistently putting money into the organisation,
0: and there are also organisations who have had faith in other social founders when they're starting off or at key stages in their careers. When and I mean, I
1: I have benefited from Eric Adams' philosophy about uh, funding. He always said that he believes if you fund somebody who has a track record of success, you fund the person, not the very well filled in application form. Which
0: comes back to that issue of the. Brand yes. of the social founder, the brand
1: and the track record, and of the, the trust
0: and the networking, yeah. and how important it is to if if you have got those very strong relationships to hang yes. on to them during yes. your founder journey, yes, and even when you if you decide to leave and start something else again, yeah. keep that going. Yeah. So let's move on to a couple of tips mm. before we close. It is
1: you have to inspire people. You have to have an idea yeah. that inspires, that is different from other people's idea, but is and and it leads to a mission. I'm very proud when I hear major corporations now saying Living Wage is a mission, they're part of a mission which is to pay people more money than they have to pay. Huh. And that's major corporations. I heard the City of London, who were initially very reluctant to pay the London living wage, but are now champions. That's they an incredible... a mile to go totally living wage. That living wage legacy you've left is <laughs> oh, just amazing. So mission is important because it's always been important.
0: Mission and inspiration. Inspiration.
1: Lead by example. Uh-huh. Uh, the chief executive who stays in, sitting in front of a computer will never get anywhere. It's <laughs> tempting because... We're drowning in emails, of course. Yes. You have to have some way of getting those deflected from stuff. But I am an organizer, and I've continued to organize. I've been privileged to have organizers who let me organize with them mm. and gently do what I try and do. Mm. So I think that's very important. Never giving up is a one I was I learned early on because there were so many reasons in those early days, which you must have had. Yeah, think this is a waste of time. I can't cope. I mean, well, there's lots of easier jobs out there. But frankly, if you've got a mission, you can't really give up. I mean, you can not give up when you're drowning. Huh. Uh, when your head goes under the water, I suppose, it's probably sensible to yes.
0: learn to swim. Difficult to know. When. Uh,
1: but basically, you know, you've got to get around these hurdles. The first 10 years, I would say, hand on heart, we made lots of mistakes and there was the internal strife and stuff. Mm-hmm. But once we got sorted as a result of the confidence of the foundations, it has been a fantastic privilege to get as far as we have. And another mantra which I've learned really from the Americans, which is all organizing is reorganizing. Nice. That you can't continue to do what you've always done. Uh, and it's a method, I also learned it from business. Uh, yeah. Charles Handy I know very well and I've been a great follower of his books about business and what happens. And he always, he's just produced a book and he is in his 90s called The Second Curve, uh-huh. which is basically arguing if something's going well, you need to immediately start to have another idea. Otherwise, it becomes boring and people begin to leave because there's no adventure anymore. So you still, want to, you still have a goal, the same goal, but all organizing is reorganizing. And that means changing what you're doing.
0: A lot of the founders that we work with have that as a real dilemma. Hmm. Are they, you know, should they be constantly innovating, changing, taking on these second curves? Hmm. Or should they be focusing more on the one
1: Mm. way of doing things and
0: i think that is a real conflict of, of interest yeah so you still
1: have the same goal but I, basically you you can change you package it first. differently yeah. that's right almost and frankly trust want that the trust want to find new stuff that's, that, that's a real again. dilemma for yeah. many
0: of us so getting the balance right between keeping the same overall mission mm. the same overall goal but creating innovative ways to reach that goal That's right. and repackaging yeah. and that's such interesting advice mm. well I think we should probably end there with that really practical Mm. piece of advice. We'd love to hear more from you in in blogs and and we'll put lots of links through to your website. I can't wait to hear about the new Centre for Civil Society. It's so important. And meanwhile, many, many congratulations on everything that you've done with Citizens UK. You've been a great inspiration to me and to all of us in the voluntary sector the community sector, the public sector, the corporate sector, all over, civil society as a whole. And actually, I bet that there are many social founders out there Mm. that have been inspired to do what Mm. they're doing by you. So there's a web of people out there that thanks to your drive and your vision and your inspiration and your innovation Mm -hmm. are changing the world. So congratulations and thank you. You can follow Neil Jameson on Twitter at neiljamesonuk, and you can also follow Citizens UK at citizensuk and at Living Wage UK on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to Social Founder Stories. I'll really look forward to your feedback. Do subscribe to the podcast. We have some fantastic guests coming up. You can also sign up to our newsletter on our website, socialfounder.org. You can follow us on Twitter at socialfounders. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a great five star review. This will really help spread the word. And of course, if you are a social founder or even thinking of becoming one, let me know. Social Founder Stories is brought to you by the Social Founder Network in association with Kiva the Centre for Innovation in Voluntary Action. You can find out more about Kiva and support their innovative work at kiva.org.uk